You're listening to the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation podcast network, hosted by Blake Murphy 7 and Johnny Touchdown. All about your Arizona Cardinals. Hello, welcome into the Revenge of the Birds podcast. We'll be bringing you uh, some recaps of kind of a tough loss to the Los Angeles Rams, Arizona Cardinals still have not beaten Sean McVay and Jared Goff since he took over in 2017. They lose 38-28. We're here to recap it and look at a newly 500 team. Cardinals, for the second time this season, have fallen to a 500 record. Um, You get to look around the league and see at least that there's some teams now chasing them, it looks like, for the playoff picture, most notably the Minnesota Vikings. My name is Blake Murphy7. We're here to kind of go over your, uh, we call it the complete cards coverage on the Revenge of the Birds podcast. And joining me, as always, is my co-host, the venerable John Venerable. And John, the second half for the Cardinals was somewhat encouraging but the first half was absolutely miserable and it didn't ever feel like it was a close game from the get-go after the Cardinals started with I believe the uh, quick I think it was at least what was it a, a quick start to the game and then promptly gave up pretty much I think it was some 14 unanswered points and it felt like it should have been a whole lot more yeah welcome in everybody thanks for joining us and, and hanging out uh, on an otherwise dismal Cardinal football stretch, uh, Arizona once five and two. I'm sure you've heard this plenty of times now. It has since been one and four over the past five weeks, and that is about as frustrating as it gets for a team that clearly still is learning how to win, how to consistently compete at the highest level in the NFL. And Sunday was a good example of a team that clearly has solidified themselves as a contender in the NFC coming into your building yet again. Like you mentioned, Blake, for the seventh time in a row, the Cardinals lose to Sean McVay. And uh, the, the game to me, Blake, I thought was going to start and end differently based on the explosive play we saw from Dan Arnold, the Cardinals stretching the field. I said, goodness, this is This has got a recipe for success. The defense played exceptional football, I thought, throughout the duration of the first half. I know that they gave up 14 points, but again, we've talked about it time and time again. I've used this example. This defense is flawed. We know that based on the personnel that they're fielding every Sunday, yet they're giving you enough chances like they did against Washington, like they did against Dallas when the Cardinals had lopsided victories to come out and and put your th- your foot on on the the opponent put the put your foot on their throat you know for lack of a better term and end it early and the cardinals just haven't been able to take advantage offensively and so that's why i was so disappointed with the offensive inefficiencies yet again Blake from this team in the first half and you get to the the second half and the defense is gassed they don't have the kind of premium talent to be able to hang in for four quarters against a coach like Sean McVay and listen, I know this is a Rams team that had been struggling offensively, but I, I think it's very similar to when we saw the Seahawks for the second time coming off a loss, coming off more turnovers from Russell Wilson. You knew they were going to make a priority to, to be more efficient. I feel like this is kind of what we got in this Rams outcome, a, a Rams team that had come into this game not playing great football, uh, Jared Goff not playing well. They had been beaten by you know a subpar 49ers team, and Goff's turning the ball over left and right. You knew it was going to be a priority for them to get back to efficient play, and, and you saw it. Goff, 37 of 47, 351. 
I mean, the guy, when he plays the Cardinals, for whatever reason, they, they have not been able to make him uncomfortable, really, in seven meetings. I, I think I, w- I would venture to say in those seven instances, he's probably got over 2,000 yards passing easily. He's probably got uh, a touchdown interception ratio that's will make you throw up. I mean, he, he just, he has been, for whatever reason, he, Robert Woods, Cooper Cup, Sean McVay, they just get the best out of this this unit when they play Arizona. And I thought with the way the defense played in the first half, if you would have come out and been able to put up, let's say, 20 points in the first half, I, I think that they would have been able to coast to a, a victory because this Rams team is not equipped to play from behind. We've seen it. They've, they've been behind from much of their losses this year and they don't rebound they don't have the the quick strike approach they're methodical they want to be able to run the football work off of play action get golf moving outside the pocket and use the smoke and mirrors screen game to to their advantage and when they're able to to do that with a lead or in a close game you can really hurt you and we saw that happen against tampa bay a couple weeks ago on monday night football the cardinals had a chance to jump out to a big lead with dan arnold stretching the field on a broken play and you can kind of take L.A.'s soul a little bit when you are up double digits, and the Cardinals just were never able to do that. And that's really been the story of the second half of the season, Blake, is that any time where it looks like the Cardinals have an opportunity to either put a team away or to pull away early in the game and to take advantage, like we saw with New England a week ago, and they didn't do it, it has come back to haunt them. Now, obviously, this Rams team is, is much superior to New England, and I think that's why most of us thought that that New England game was kind of a must-win because you knew the history was not on your side against the Rams, and the Rams made them pay. 21 points in uh, the fourth quarter, 24 points in the second half. Kyler you know, making you know, errant mistakes, fumbles, interceptions for, for touchdowns. He did not play poorly, Blake, by any means, um, and I put this out on Twitter. He was fine. He was good for, for large stretches of that game. But we've seen now with this roster, specifically at times offensively and in the second half defensively, that unless Kyler Murray is elite special for four quarters, this team is going to have a hard time winning against good teams in the NFL. The the personnel is just not great yet. Kingsbury, another week of him being out coached by a superior coach on the other side. And I know it's a gauntlet. We've, We've said it time and time again. He's in the division with three excellent head coaches he just faced Bill Belichick last week I mean we're not getting a bunch of rinky dink you know peewee football coaches he's getting everybody's best shot every week and you know the Cardinals have a target on their back because of the the fast start and Kyler Murray's excellence and all that good stuff and I I just think Blake you you've made a really good point is that that five and two start was a little bit of a mirage and gave people false hope you and I included that this team was better than they actually were, when in reality they're probably somewhere in between what they're playing right now and how they started the season. And that equates to a 500 football team, which is where they sit at today, Blake, at 6-6. Six and six. John, for me, I think, honestly, listeners, Cardinals fans, even me, I think we could probably argue we didn't think that the Cardinals were going to win this game. We both had picked this as a loss. For me, I feel like that you should be more upset about how last week's game finished than you should be with this week because the Rams as far as having the number two defense and as far as how we've talked about how their offense is mismatched it was an area where overall you came into that with the expectation that the Cardinals were probably not going to win with the way they had been playing what's fascinating John is you look at how things had turned out for the most part and 
a lot of it ultimately was that the game should have been a lot worse than it was. L.A. had, you know, you said about 450-plus yards. Arizona had only 230 total yards, plus two turnovers. Rams dominated the time of possession. Uh, they had 30 first downs. They had a huge amount of first downs in the first half as well. Uh, the biggest thing, at least, that was interesting to me was you take a look at how in the red zone, the Rams went 3 of 6, Arizona went 3 of 3. Really, it was those four three and outs and the fact that the Cardinals, when they drove down the field, you kind of had an opportunity to look at and say, hey, we can salvage some of this terrible first half, which they had, I think it was 83 yards of total offense, 59 of which came from that broken play to Dan Arnold, which we talked about Dan Arnold was going to be that mismatch weapon that the we saw that last year against the Rams linebackers in that scheme. We saw it this year. Really, what it ends up turning into is that the – Rams penalties in some ways kept the Cardinals in the game. They had six penalties for 75 yards. The story of the game statistically came down to third down. On third down, the Rams completed 9 of 15. Arizona only completed 4 of 12. And a lot of that comes to that terrible opening start in the first half where Kyler looked like he was under duress, didn't know where to go with the football. He wasn't really able to run or scramble, and he didn't even look like he wanted to run or scramble as much. Um... And then I think that the most deflating thing for the team was you get a chance to close the lead to 14-10 to 10 at the end of the first half. You line up Zane Gonzalez. There's a penalty. I should say not a penalty. A review that was called. DeAndre Hopkins just doesn't get the second foot down. They bump that field goal back to probably about like some what was it, like 48, 46 yards. I'd have to double check at least in the play-by-play um, uh, -play here. But ultimately, when you talk about with that missed field goal, it was about uh, – yeah, yeah, here it is. So – 48-yard field goal. 40-48 to 48 is supposed to be your kicker's money range. We see another miss from Zane Gonzalez. The feeling was, oh, uh, maybe he would have made it if, you know, Hopkins had gotten his feet down for that one. But he's just been pushing field goals left. And the fact that if it was a 57-yard field goal, you know, you can forgive it. Those are difficult. The fact that it's a 48-yard miss again, despite the fact that the team had finally managed to find something on offense. And when we saw John, that came out in the second half. They came out, they adjusted, they started throwing to DeAndre Hopkins. Even though they really didn't throw the ball downfield much at all against this Rams team, we got to at least see them kind of be able to right the ship a bit. If Zane Gonzalez makes that field goal, Arizona, when you're looking at it in the, in the second quarter, in the second half, I should say, had a chance to have a tie game. You would have had it reset. Instead, you're three points down. Someone pointed out this to me on, on Twitter. The Cardinals at least kind of kept it close, but in the end, the defense was not able to find a play. Some of that blame goes to the offense for just not being able to find anything for the first two quarters. And when it came down to it at the end in the clutch time, the Cardinals were basically always chasing by two scores, the Rams. And in this regard, John, I think a lot of it does come down to the fact that right now the Cardinals just don't have the talent to keep up with a team like the Rams. And the mistakes that they're going to be making are going to essentially kind of keep them down in that regard. You're seeing how the whole team right now seems to kind of get carried by Kyler by uh, some type of turnover or special teams play. Uh, it's a bend but don't break defense. And unfortunately, we've seen kind of down the stretch. Um, the way I would describe it is you almost felt like you were watching a uh, story of two different teams in the first quarter and the fourth quarter you're watching the 2019 Cardinals look like an inexperienced quarterback doesn't know where to go you're not sure what's going on with it you see them kind of blow the game at the end when they had a chance to make it close 
And in the middle, at least, for that one, coming out in that third quarter and even the beginning of the fourth quarter, uh, you kind of saw a Cardinals team that looked like the 2020 Cardinals we've all expected. They were able to kind of move the ball downfield. They were at least, you know, able to utilize the running game for the most part. But what I want to kind of get your opinion on, John, is what do you think is the biggest reason for the Cardinals' struggles overall? Because we've talked about how since that injury that was taken, the AC uh, sprained AC joint in his throwing shoulder for Kyler Murray, We've seen a huge change. The offense has struggled to run the football. Kyler has not run the football very much. He's only gone five carries in this game for 15 yards. We've seen it where DeAndre Hopkins' route tree has shrunk, and we've also seen the disappearance, ultimately, of uh, Christian Kirk. Now, some of the struggles the last two games, you know, maybe you could say that Larry Fitzgerald's been out and he's kind of a reliable threat that you need to use. But how is it that this offense that went from second uh, or first even overall in the NFL at the time has suddenly shrunk to being a shell of its former self? It's really demoralizing and head scratching. Again, we say this every week. This is a unit that's 100 percent healthy outside of Larry Fitzgerald missing a couple weeks for for covid this team is fully intact and, and stronger than they were to start the season. They didn't have Max Williams to start the season. They've got all their complements of starting tight ends and linemen and receivers and running backs, and they look dejected. They look out of sync. Christian Kirk, two yards receiving. I mean, that's unacceptable. I don't know if it's a, it's a creativity issue with Cliff Kingsbury. Um, he said that Kyler Murray was 100% healthy and ready to go the last two weeks, but especially this past week was a full participant Blake, and I, I think Friday's practice just looked good. And, you know, in the game, I, I don't see him having not a hesitancy, but any kind of hitch in his giddy-up. His, his throwing motion looks as it does normally. It just They just look lackadaisical. They look confused. Um, I don't know what was meant to be accomplished by all the misdirection with Andy Isabella to start the game in the backfield. Um, I just think they need to take a long look at the mirror and – figure out who who their playmakers are and get them the football. And I know that that sounds – it's easier said than done, right? But I, I think back to last year when this team was struggling, they went and, and kind of overturned their offense to be more of a running team, and that's what allowed them to play better football and to, and to chalk up some victories. And Cliff Kingsbury said that they're not going to entertain uh, an offensive overhaul like they did a year ago. Um, and I would just push back and say – what we're seeing right now is a quarterback in Kyler Murray that averaged 4.4 yards of completion uh, on Sunday against the Rams. And the fact that this team has no vertical passing game. And when they do, it's broken plays and, you know, Hail Marys and that kind of thing. Kyler Murray isn't seeing the field, the middle of the field very well right now. And there were a bunch of narratives online about height related and all that garbage. And you and I both, Blake, feel like that's not true. And it's more of a an issue with remaining consistent and refining that that part of the offense and it's too much you know horizontal screen games when they don't have the personnel to support that not feeding Hopkins enough early on not stretching the field with Hopkins I'm sure you guys if you're listening to this podcast have seen the route trees from from pro football focus that have kind of gone viral this week with Hopkins being very limited in in his route tree selection as compared to some of the other elite receivers in football and again Cliff Kingsbury was is supposed to be this offensive guru that's be that's supposed to be able to churn up 
points left and right and you know creative play calls and we saw that all of last year and I think that's why we're so confident and, and encouraged about the next step in this offense and I I don't know if it was Kyler's mobility that kind of masked the inefficiencies that we're seeing from the rest of this unit but it certainly feels like Blake that his, his running ability to start the year hit, hit a lot of blemishes with this offense and they have not taken the next step to evolve um, we thought maybe yeah. Christian Kirk was taking that next step. He, he's taken two steps back. We, we've talked about the issues with the running game, um, which still, I mean, to me is, is is effective in the sense that, you know, Kenyon Drake had 10 for 49, Edmonds 6 for 28, almost five yards per pop for both those guys. That's why, I'm, uh, you know, you think to yourself, well, can they commit to more of a running game? Can they be explosive on the ground? But then you see time and time again, inefficiencies picking up short yardage. So, they just they can't put it together. And again, you think with this game and the explosive play to start that they're going to turn the corner, but it, it looks painful right now. The offensive line has not played well for the better part of almost a month. And I know they, they only gave up two sacks, but Kyler was under pretty consistent duress, had four quarterback hits, just was made to feel uncomfortable, um, too many throwaways. So I, I just... Again, the defense is the less talented of the group and statistically worse than the offense. But I think we can all look at the personnel defensively and understand some of those gaps. Let's talk now, about the offensive not, line, John. Because Yeah, we're not going to make excuses for the, for the defense. And, yeah, we can focus on the offense in the sense that they, they've had no second-year jump from Andy Isabella. That, that's, a, that's, a huge, that's a huge admission of guilt. Keyshawn Johnson played in this game, Blake, and looked much more refined as a, as a route runner and a pass catcher than Isabel, something that we all thought was evident last year. Um, and he's remained mostly inactive to, to start this year, and it was nice to see him get an opportunity. But there, there's, no, there's no prime secondary option. There's no Marvin Jones. There's no Corey Davis. There's no players like that, Emmanuel Sanders, that will complement a one receiver in Hopkins. And that's a problem, Blake, that you've been on for a while and again, when Kyler's mobility is is not what it needs to be, and they're not running him effectively, they he needs to be able to go through his progressions in the passing game. And right now, and they said it on the broadcast, guys can't separate. Guys aren't getting open, and that would point to an issue at receiver. And I think it's compounded by the fact that that Cliff right now is in a rut calling plays. Yeah, you can take a look also. I think in the fact of how when you're talking about what's changed specifically with the Cardinals, um, I got an article at least for this. I, I kind of boil it down to three big reasons. The f- biggest one, obviously, like you mentioned, John, and we've talked about this, is after the first two games of the year, I think a lot of Cardinals fans were going, "All right, like, is this going to be a special season for the Cards? Like, talking ten to twelve wins, and then." You see them drop a game to the Lions. Like, okay, the defense held them pretty much in check a couple times in the red zone, that they turned it over three times and looked discombobulated. And then they just did not show up against the Carolina Panthers. So it's like, okay, well, let's at least we can adjust the expectations. Cardinals are, we talked about potentially going, you know, undefeated up until the Cowboys game, at least. And that was one of the areas where, uh, you know, like you said, you overestimate some of what the Cardinals had been. And I think the biggest thing, at least overall, as far as with lacking in talent, is if you take a look at the guys who you'd say, who are the pro bowlers, who are the stars, who are the players on this team who are essentially uh, the guys who are going to step up and make plays. And I think right now, they really, John, only have four of them on the team, and it's Kyler Hopkins. I think you count um, DJ Humphreys in there, and then Buda Baker. You would probably say that you'd hopefully have mm-hmm. five if Chandler Jones is there. He's an IR. Patrick Peterson clearly is not at that level anymore. We've watched Patrick Peterson right. essentially go from an elite corner 
to um, a average corner in 2017, back to being a really, really good corner in 2018, and then suddenly back to being uh, an average to below average corner in 2018. He's a, li- he's a liability in certain weeks. Well, and I think what's interesting also, if you take a look at that 2018 standout year, I think a lot of people can point to how he's not been the same since there's the 2015 season, 2016 season, 2017 was a slide. When you bounce back in 2018 and then you get busted for PEDs in 2019, a lot of fans are probably going to look at that one season and go, oh, okay, this may be some of the cause or explanation for something. Now, maybe it's something totally different. Obviously, we don't know everything about that situation. We just know he ended up getting uh, caught. He got an extra two games as a result of trying to hide all of that, and we've seen him take a downward turn ever since. So he's just not been the blue chip player that you've needed. Now, I think the question you'd have is, hey, could a guy like an Isaiah Simmons get there? I mean, that's what we're hoping for, John. We've seen flashes for all of that. And some of the guys like Justin Pugh, uh, Beecham, Uh, I think the other one I would say, at least, as far as for contributors have been Kirk and Drake, but the only guy who I feel like has been reliable and who actually is the second highest rated receiver on the Cardinals is it's Chase Edmonds, John. That's something that's Mm -hmm. crazy when you talk about the fact that Larry Fitzgerald, he's had about four catches for 40 yards a game. But you've taken him off of the field the last two games. He was, I believe, the, the team's leading receiver against Seattle as the team is what I call kind of maybe, I call it turtling a bit. You kind of go inside your shell. They're just not attempting as many downfield passes. They're not running Kyler out as much. You've taken that off of the field, so you're missing probably about you know 40 yards a game or so there. And the number of designed runs for Kyler Murray and the number of times he's taking off or, you know, taking an extra hit or scrambling has also gone down. Now, the question, at least for some, is going to be, okay, is that defensive design they're stopping that? Is some of that on Kyler? I think it's a combination, but he was averaging somewhere about 60 yards a game or so as far as putting with the ball on the ground and at least one touchdown. Remember, he started the year with having 10 touchdowns in, what was it, like 10 touchdowns in 10 games? The last three, he's not had a single rushing touchdown. So when you look at it and put all the pieces together, I think it's pretty easy to see that after he took that AC sprain, you're talking about some adjustments, kind of trying to protect him a bit more maybe, or just a reticence to run the football and saying, hey, we, we can't rely on Kyler running around all the time because he might get hurt for that. We have to be able to adapt. And they don't have the talent to do that. If teams are going to be able to key in on Kyler running the football, and they'll be able to key in on DeAndre Hopkins. You're talking about at least like teams and Pro Bowl players who against LA the other day, you know, had uh, grades that were down in like the five to eighteen or so as far as for some of these offensive linemen. And I think that's an aspect that we have talked about how the Cardinals have not led a lot of hits up in the past few games for the most part. I do think a lot of that, John, comes from the fact that if Kyler is a rushing threat. You have to deal with things in a certain way. And I think what teams are working on is figuring out different ways to blitz him from new angles, new types of areas, make him feel uncomfortable in the pocket. And in the meantime, we're also seeing a lot of more batted balls where he's having teams are saying, all right, here's what we're going to do with Kyler. We'll blitz him from different spots, different angles, make him uncomfortable, kind of scheme him into taking away some of those kind of first read options make him kind of second guess what he's seeing. Now, we've also seen an adjustment from the Cardinals where they moved to a quick passing game, started involving Hopkins more, and we got to see that the Cardinals haven't been this team that, you know, goes out there and loses 30 to 7 to the LA Rams like they did last year. 
So it's not like the team is completely devoid of talent and it's all on Kyler's shoulders. They do have talent. They put up, uh, I believe it was 21 second-half points on a Rams defense that had been averaging six points in the second half they'd been giving up, which I think is something that we need to talk about is despite the fact that the team was not really throwing it to Christian Kirk or tossing it downfield, they still were effective enough overall to be able to, you know, keep it a close game. That's something that we haven't seen in the past. What we're not seeing ultimately, I think, John, is the team having enough talent comparatively. You know, we talk about how, you know, the Rams offense, they disappeared last year when Cooper Cup went out and teams could just key in on Robert Woods and get pressure on Jared Goff. I think what the Cardinals fans are looking at right now, though, is none of the things that we're talking about here really, I think, seem to matter as far as, hey, like, teams are adjusting here somewhat on Kyler. The talent we've seen has disappeared. You know, they're missing the fact that Kyler's not running and they're missing fits. Ultimately, fans don't care about that because when you're 5-2 and two, and then you suddenly end up at 6-6, six and six, all that people really care about at the end of the day is getting a win. And that's what's tough, I think, John, is the balance between being able to ultimately say, hey, the process goes over results, you know, like the team went out, they were dominant, they were great. And then you look at the Seattle game and the Buffalo game, Cardinals won both of those with 40 seconds left in the, you know, first and the fourth quarter of the Buffalo game. Cardinals hadn't won that game with before a penalty was called on a block for DK Metcalf, where he should have scored on that one touchdown. Cardinals shouldn't have won that game. We could be talking about, you know, a 4-8 and eight team, and then you flip the script uh, with some of these missed Zane field goals. Hey, maybe we're talking about, you know, an 8-4 and four team. What it comes down to at the end of the day is winning. And I think what's happening is Cardinals fans are looking at Kyler, looking at the addition of Hopkins, and are saying this is a team that needs to be going out and winning games. And what we're seeing, I think, John, is the team is still learning how to win games. And right now, like you said, with the talent disparity, Cliff has been an offensive play caller in the NFL – for the last two years, going up against the likes of a Sean McVay, who has been essentially a play caller since I believe either sometime between 2013 to 2015, he was calling plays all the way over there with the uh, with the Washington football team with Kirk Cousins, and has moved over to the Rams. He's been uh, honestly, at least for that one, has a lot more experience in that regard. Jared Goff, veteran quarterback. There's still a talent disparity that I think we're seeing between the Cardinals and other teams. And I think Cardinals' rushing legs accounted for a lot of that. It kept teams honest. And what we're seeing, I think, right now, John, is the Cardinals are kind of reverting to maybe that eight- or nine-win team that they've probably been all along. But that 5-2 and two start, for the most part, has most people saying, all right, and I even said this too, if you go 4-4 four and four after this 5-2 and two start the rest of the way, 4-4, four and four, you're sitting at 9-6. and six. You have a chance for a 10-6 and six record against the Rams or at 9-7, and seven, probably get into the playoffs what we're seeing at least is the cardinals have kind of gotten off schedule with this injury to kyler where they're not able to keep it close and beat some of these good teams and that's probably scary for a lot of fans with a giants team that's that's coming up because now you're looking at this team going all right like if we're not quite ready to go as far as the talent wise if the coaching staff is still having to learn or like you talked about there's been an improvement of play of vance joseph but it's not like the cardinals have been a, a top 10 defense or shutting guys down now Injuries in the defensive line have hurt, but ultimately what this team has kind of ended up seems like is they're having above average expectations with an overall talent level. And I think that reflects ultimately, John, on the lack of draft picks and draft capital from 2016 to now, which even includes the Josh Rosen debacle that we saw where the Cardinals have 
basically traded away a whole bunch of picks for Rosen. They gave away some more of that capital when they got rid of Rosen. Did they improve at quarterback? 100%. But they really ultimately, John, are still not where they need to be. And I think that really means that the front office is to take a good hard look at the talent level they have compared to other teams and figure out how are they going to be able to fix it. And that, to me, I think is kind of the story for the most part of this offseason. But you have to get there first, John, by at least being able to pick up a, a couple of games down the stretch here because if this team limps into the playoffs at 8-8, eight and eight, I think people will see after that 5-2 and two start as a failure. I don't think that we should view it that way in the long run. But in the context of this year, it certainly would feel like the Cardinals let people down going three and six after a fantastic five and two start. Yeah, and I think that you look at this roster and it's not paper thin, but they certainly tried to cut corners. I mean, listen, they got Murray first overall and we all acknowledge or at least you and I acknowledged at the time that you needed to look at that 20. 19 start of this rebuild effort after the disastrous 2018 off season and the off seasons that preceded it as a almost kind of like a rebuilding a expansion level roster. I mean, it was, it was the worst roster in the NFL and I know fans didn't want to hear that at the time, but you looked up and down the roster and I mean, they were fortunate to win three games. Um, and so you get Kyler Murray and he's your centerpiece and it's going to take time to rebuild it to a, to a position of, of, you know, playoff accessibility or playoff aspirations. And, you know, they, they cheated Bill O'Brien out of DeAndre Hopkins for a second. And, and that's, that's something that I, I, I think that has covered blemishes, right? And Murray's ascension has covered, covered blemishes and Sean Coogler's ability to coach up some offensive linemen has covered some blemishes. But I mean, you just mentioned it, like that 2018 first round pick would be in year three right now, likely hitting his stride at a, at a position of need for them, whether it's Derwin James at safety or an offensive guard or a, a pass rusher or a defensive tackle or a receiver. I mean, force that, the issue at quarterback. Be... And even then you, you whiffed right. on the pick. And to me, that's kind of what we've talked about this in the past, John, of the issue that I think that we had with this Kime cliff and Kyler type of mold was, you know, you didn't really fix what some of the core problem was. And we saw the Cardinals in 2018 were the worst team in football. And the reason why was because they lost the talent that they had at the end of the Bruce Arians era at a much faster rate. And the replacements that they had is like, all right, we're going to replace Calais Campbell with Robert Kimdichie. We're going to replace the likes of losing Daryl Washington. All right, we're going to need an inside linebacker, Dale Buchanan. All right, that didn't work out. Let's get Hassan Reddick in there. They moved him away from strength for a number of years. Talking about wide receivers that they brought in. The People talk all the time about Isabella, but you know, you look back in that 2017 year, they decided to not go and grab a quarterback in a better class. That's force the issue for next year they you know got I think it was Chad Williams as the receiver they got in the third round a lot of just what they've done overall in terms of the draft capital has been ultimately busting and then you talk about free agents at least that are always going to be hit and miss there's enough of at least where they've changed the vision of what their team is and who are they going to be so many times and ultimately I think looking back on it now John it's almost kind of like it's Hey, it's, it's no surprise Bruce Arians up and retired. He took a look at the roster and was like, Carson ain't coming back. They don't have any quarterback on the roster. All right, I'm, I'm kind of out of here. And he came back to football a couple years later, showing it wasn't specifically about his health and other aspects. Now, this isn't to really nag onto the Cardinals overall. I mean, you can talk about what they've done and how they've turned some stuff around. I think there's credit that's deserved, but it's still kind of paying the penalty like a 
someone even talks about like you know the son paying the sins of the father you know like you go to school and you'll sometimes be judged as a younger sibling based on how your older sibling had acted and behaved even though you may be totally different and sometimes it's justified and i think in this regard you're still looking at that same cardinal staff that's under steve kime that's either scouting or taking care of stuff I, i think back to what daniel jeremiah said it's like yeah i don't see why the cardinal staff at least would pick andy isabella there in that second round i feel like he's a fifth round slot receiver and when you look at everything else, you're like, okay, like there's talent evaluation that's going on. There's things that this team at least is missing. And it feels like that they've kind of tried to improve everywhere else except in that regard. And I, I don't mean, I don't know if you have to means you have to fire the GM, but I think it means you have to take at least a good hard look at your talent level and be like, hey, did, did you expect to make the playoffs this year or as a playoff team to be able to hold up to it? Because right now the Cardinals aren't there and be better to at least admit that what you're not versus think that you're better than what you are and get stuck in purgatory for, you know, we talk about QB purgatory with like, you know, there's Dalton's, there's Stafford's, there's even like Jay Cutler with the Bears, great example. You'd much rather be honest about where the team is so you can know you can improve than you would be to be dishonest about it and then have what I think we've seen this year, set expectations that are higher than the team can fulfill. Yeah, and listen, I I think that we can also look at Murray's performance this year and, and be truthful about what we're seeing and, and ignore the national media this week and the narrative that Kyler Murray can't suddenly play football. He's, he's improved on his passer rating, his, his total touchdowns, his touchdown passes, his yards, his completion percentage. I mean, everything's gone up. So we, we want to get the pitchforks out for Kingsbury and we have to take a deep breath and say, okay, Murray's improved significantly from last year. And and at the end of the day, what did we say, Blake? That was the reason Cliff was being brought on board. Is the quarterback play was so egregious before Kyler and Cliff arrived that we were willing, I was willing at the time to say, I can I can live with some of the shortcomings in Kingsbury's coaching, in-game coaching, if I see an improvement with, with the quarterback position. And he's he's exceeded my expectations with that. But it also brings renewed expectations of, well, now they got to start winning, right? They've got a quarterback who's on pace for 43 touchdowns. How could they possibly miss the playoffs? And it's 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 one of those things where then you look at the receivers on the year. I mean, Hopkins has got almost 1,100 yards and nobody over 500 yards. The rest of that group, Kirk's at 498, Larry's at 336. Edmonds is at 326. Okay, so you're paper thin at receiver outside of Hopkins. And then you look at... You know, running backs are steady. I don't think that's a huge issue. But then you turn your attention to defensively. You've got your leading tacklers of safety. Jordan Hicks has no sacks, no interceptions on the year. And he's one of your captains defensively and is not contributing to the level we saw a year ago. Your first round pick of of this past year still plays about 40% of the time. Byron Murphy, who was the 33rd overall pick in the 2019 draft still isn't on the field every snap. And you're, you're, there was a statistic that came out, Blake, this morning that the Cardinals are playing more players um, this year, a higher percentage um, than any team of, of guys who are going to be free agents this, this upcoming offseason. And what that tells us on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah. On the defensive side of the ball. Yeah. On the defensive side of the ball, John, not to interrupt. Yeah. The part of that does come from the fact that you're talking about losing your two starting corners to free agency at the end of the year. So 
Right. It's compounded by poor by poor drafting and and not having players to come in and fill the the gap successfully. And I get that. Like you didn't Robert Alford going down and you're having to put band-aids on that. But I also think it speaks to a larger problem like with the Simmons situation that you're starting in week where what are we in week four, 14 now? Um, you're starting Devondre Campbell over Isaiah Simmons. You're letting, you know, Jordan Hicks, who probably will be cut after the season over over Isaiah Simmons. And it's just it, there's a disconnect, I think, right now between the coaching staff and the front office, certainly defensively. And and you also look at what they're starting on the defensive line. I mean, goodness, all of those guys could be gone after this year outside of Zach Allen. So I, I think back to your original point, Blake. What you're seeing is Kyler Murray, when he's asked to, to elevate this roster against quality opponents, he has to be special or they have a chance to be not embarrassed, but look dysfunctional, look bad, look look like a team that is not deserving of a playoff spot. When he's special and he can score seemingly every drive and elevate everybody else, they're a competitive fun watch. You know, we'll put aside their defensive struggles because Kyler goes the length of the field in two minutes with a bunch of you know, outside of Hopkins, a bunch of marginal receivers, it looks different, right? But he can't, we just, NFL teams are making an adjustment on him and and we knew that was going to happen and then they're going to have to work through that. But I, I also think that when you look at this roster, what'd we say? Maxing out best case scenario this year would be nine and seven, 10 and six. And they may or may not still hit that, but that was best case scenario. And your best case scenario isn't, without Chandler Jones all year. Your best case scenario isn't without some of your marquee free agent signings like Jordan Phillips completely going MIA and being on IR and Devon Kennard not being a factor. I mean, like, they're kind of putting it together as they go, and I think the, the folks that are clamoring for firings and replacements after this year, I just I, I don't think those are coming. I think they're going to point to needing to be better from a personal standpoint, but also that they had some tough, quote-unquote, breaks this year with with some key guys going down. So I, again, I, I, I need to see them win another game before I can say that they're going to have a chance to make the playoffs either at eight, eight, eight and eight or nine and seven. But I also think it's, it's up to cliff now to be able to steer the ship in the right direction after, after what equates to a, a month and a half of losing football. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, John. And with that, that's a great transition. Let's talk about Cliff Kingsbury, because I think what we've done so far for a lot of stuff, people might even say, are we giving excuses for Cliff about the talent or the other aspects? And let's talk about Cliff for a second, because on one hand, I think, yeah, you're right about inheriting some of the worst roster in football, but then people are talking about whether it's the scheme, the offensive genius. One thing that's kind of stood out to me from yesterday's game was how he talked about uh, at the half, Paul Calvisi, um, the sideline reporter for the Cardinals, mentioned that uh, Kingsbury, they said, what did you tell Kyler, at least as you headed into the half? And he said, yeah, I told him, just don't be afraid of Jalen Ramsey. Throw it his way. Don't be afraid of the fact that he's on DeAndre Hopkins. We saw them kind of move him a little bit into the slot, which diagnosed a little bit easier to see, hey, is this man coverage where Jalen Ramsey follows him, or is he playing a zone? Because what kind of can scare quarterbacks can be the fact that if Ramsey's playing a zone and you throw it his way, he's just reading the eyes of the quarterback all the way. He can pounce and pick the ball off. Think the question, at least, that we have, John, right now, a lot of people are saying, what do we really have in Cliff Kingsbury? And a lot of it, I think, comes to with this, you know, everyone was looking at Cliff a couple weeks ago after 5-2, and two, um, saying, man, he's just got a great offense, but they're just mismanaging the end of some of these games for the most part. This is just like the brutal ending of the Seattle game. 
Um, you know, just the aggressive passes to Hopkins in the Bills game where they weren't really running time off of the clock. A lot of people just having questions about it for all those. Now, obviously, I haven't met a, found a single person who's, you know, had a, a decent, I guess, substitute. But what is the blame that you think Cliff has to have in all of this? How much of this is the learning curve that we're attaching with Kyler? How much of this is, you know, Cliff is taking on some of the blame himself. How much of this is ultimately something that we got to point the fingers at Cliff Kingsbury and say, he needs to be better and improve as a coach or the Cardinals should move on. But there's people already talking about, you know, if he loses out the rest of the season, what do you do entering into the next year? And I think that that's going to be a valid question for a lot of fans. Cause if you lose out, do you enter year three and say, all right, now it's playoffs or bust for that one. And if it's bust, what does that look like for you? your team for you know everything about what the identity you've tried to build with this you know young quarterback what are your thoughts on what is it that Kingsbury essentially is responsible for how much of this blame do we need to put onto him because right now I feel like that all of it isn't the right amount of blame but I'm not sure what the right amount is either and a lot of that maybe it's just hard to be able to know right now John it's hard to be able to know because the Cardinals, this is kind of like the last of the the big three points I think you can make is the Cardinals schedule got immensely tougher after the injury that Kyler Murray had. They've played essentially four playoff teams all in a row. These aren't just like playoff teams. These have been teams that have looked like world beaters. The Bills dominated the NFC West this year outside of the Hale Murray. The Dolphins beat every single NFC West team this year except for the Seahawks. And you're talking about then playing a couple of NFC West teams back-to-back along with a Patriots team and Bill Belichick that, as we've seen, has been actually pretty dangerous the last few weeks, hanging 50 points on the charges the other day. What is it that we have to blame for Kingsbury, and how much of it is more of the circumstances surrounding him? That, to me, I think is the biggest question that Cardinals fans are asking themselves right now. Yeah, I don't know what you do if, if Kingsbury goes from 5-2 and two to 6-10. Six and, and six and ten. Um, it would be unprecedented. I, I hope it doesn't happen. Um, but I don't know how, I mean, listen, right now the, the players in the locker room, I think like Cliff Kingsbury, but they, they know that the narrative that he's never won more than six, seven games at any level of football that he was at Texas tech with Patrick Mahomes and, and didn't accomplish much. Um, and that was always going to be his biggest hurdle. And I thought at five and two, man, he's going to coast to a playoff spot. We're going to be able to, to put that narrative to bed and it's still very much alive and well. And, you know, you need that calming voice of guys, we can, we can take care of this. We're going to be fine. And you saw him and Kyler kind of go, not go at it on the sideline, but have a conversation, a candid conversation against the Rams. And you, you could hear the broadcast say, this is unusual. This isn't something that consistently happens. And so that shows you that there's frustration right now. There's frustration in the room. There's frustration with the players And I just think that we're in a position right now with Cliff that I don't think he's coaching for his job, but I also think that you've got a quarterback that's having this kind of season. And when you're not producing and the offense looks as out of sync, I mean, it's not like the Cardinals are putting up 30 points a game and they're losing. I mean, the the defense isn't great, but they're doing enough to win you games. And, And certainly the Cardinals offense has been the primary problem the last three weeks, which is all attributed to their losses. Uh, it's that's on cliff. I mean, now he not only controls what happens with Kyler, but he controls the running game and the protections and the receivers. And I, I just think that I think when you can point the finger at somebody that's not winning and then it's his side of the football, that's not taking care of what they need to take care of. It's easier to say this person needs to be fired. And while I don't think they need to make a change, it would be their fourth change in, in f- five seasons, um, which you don't want to become the Cleveland Browns. Who are you going to get? 
that would come in and be able to be superior to Cliff. I know that, you know, uh, Kyler alone makes the job enticing, but I just think that you need some patience with a guy who, like Kyler, should be allowed to grow into the position, grow into the role. So I'm at the I'm at the point now with this franchise where I just don't think it's healthy to make another change, even if he were to lose out. Um, you lose the locker room, that's a different story. If we start hearing things from national media of Cliff potentially just having there's no faith in the room, that's one thing. We got a month of football left, and I think that let's let's check back in in a month. I never thought Steve Wilkes would be fired after a year. Um, Cliff's gotten two, but it's renewed expectations. This team was picked to go seven, win about seven games, according to Vegas, and that's where they might finish as. And But I think it's just, you know, it's a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately league, and it's not how you start but how you finish. And if they finish on, on a skid that sees them lose out outside of one Hail Mary game, um, which I don't think is going to happen, then I, we're, we'll have that conversation when it happens, Blake. Yeah, John, right now it does feel kind of like Cardinals fans. You're at a crossroads. You've got four games left. You are still technically into the playoff search for that one. You're tied now and technically behind the Vikings. But uh, we'll be talking much more about the upcoming games as well as kind of some of the areas. I, I think, John, the biggest thing we'll discuss is how do the Cardinals get right and get fixed against what looks like a surging Giants team. And then we can talk a little bit about, you know, there's a change in the schedule we've seen as well. The Eagles are going to be starting a new quarterback who Kyler Murray honestly is going to probably at least maybe not be familiar with, but we'll be able to see as his successor, a guy who is on the opposing sideline of him in the college national football championship. Then you get two divisional games at the end of the year. So I think the positive you can say for Cardinals fans right now is, Hey, you're still in it, and the way that things are set up, you very well could still end up being the seventh playoff seed, but after that 5-2 and two start and being ranked third in the NFC, it's definitely been, I think, a disappointment for fans, and like you said, a bit of a correcting of expectations. Uh, we'll be back at least overall later in the week. We'll be going over the upcoming Giants game. They potentially could be getting Daniel Jones back, and as we're finding out, at least uh, while we're recording this pod, uh, Larry Fitzgerald being activated off of the COVID-19 reserve list. He should be back for the Cardinals as well, uh, putting you essentially at full strength. Uh, we'll be able to get into all of that and make sure you're watching for our content on, you know, diagnosing the Cardinals, what the future is going to look like for the team. That'll all be there on revengeofthebirds.com. Uh, you can be able to chat with me anytime at Blake Murphy sevens, my Twitter handle. And uh, John, where can our listeners find you and your content? Yeah, I'm at Johnny Venerable on Twitter and then, of course, here on the ROTV pod and RevengeOfTheBirds.com and the Periscope postgame show after every Cardinal game. And uh, we'll, we'll see what happens, Blake, this week. Big week for the Cardinals. Absolutely. Big week for the Arizona Cardinals. Will they be able to bounce back or will that slide continue? The narratives will change a lot of how I think people are feeling about this 2020 season. Thanks for tuning in here to the Revenge of the Birds podcast. Again, I appreciate all you Cardinals fans who've been sticking with us throughout the year. It's been, I know, a pretty roller coaster of a year after the start and going up and down. Uh, hopefully the Arizona Cardinals will be able to finish on a high note. Take care, everyone.